Hello and welcome to Casting Nets Podcast. I am one of your hosts, Will Harley, here with Pastor Don Winsberger, who is always bald and beautiful and ready to go today. Um, we've had an opportunity here to to have some pre-discussion before we, we hit the, the record on the show. And um, he is excited and he is on fire uh, for our discussion for today. If you've been following along, you notice that we finally got to the end of the book of Daniel. And so now we are headed on our way to uh, another book in transition as we prepare for our look at Revelation. And so we are now going to be hitting the book of Philippians. Before we do that, and and before I hand over the reins to to Don and and let him lead us through this wonderful study of the book of Philippians, I just want to say that um, what you're going to hear are, are pretty much our opinions. Now, since we are dealing with the scriptures, we are going to be sticking with God's word. We're going to be sticking with the um, the confessions of the Lutheran Church that we uphold. Um, but not every one of our opinions all the time is supported by our congregations, our calling bodies, or the Wisconsin Evangelical Lutheran Synod. Um, and so if you have a point of discussion that you would like to bring, please let us know. We'll be more than happy to answer that those points. Uh, you can reach us at castingnetspod at gmail.com. Uh, or you can contact me personally through my church email at pastor at com, or catch us at church. Um, we have a lot of opportunities for you to to dive in and, and be a part of this conversation. So without further ado, let's jump on in to this wonderful study of the book of Philippians. Pastor Harley just had a nice way of telling all of you, dear listeners, that we are the anti-LeBron James of common sense. And so on that note, uh, we'll just uh, delve into this wonderful study of the book of Philippians. Uh, I'd like to share with uh, all of you just my logic for um, wanting to delve into the book of Philippians myself. Kind of along the same line that I wanted to delve into the book of Daniel. Uh, Looking at our culture today, looking at uh, politics in our society today, looking at the way that uh, our many, some might feel that our government is going today, maybe even perceiving that we might be looking at a culture that is going to become soon increasingly more against Christianity. I wanted to look at books of scripture that would really be motivational for us, comforting, inspirational. And uh, actually, even before the book of Daniel, the book of Philippians came into my mind, and let me share why. Uh, There are some major themes that go through this wonderful letter that the Apostle Paul wrote. Uh, In fact, uh, I have in my little um, printed out copy from the Evangelical Heritage Version, um, I have highlighted here um, certain words that recur in the book of Philippians. Um, First of all, words such as joy, rejoice, joyful, expectation, hope. Then you hear words like encouragement, comfort. You hear Paul saying, standing firm, not frightened, um, having confidence. Beautiful, beautiful words when I think about, especially in the last year and a half, there have been so many people, myself included, who at times don't feel very joyful, don't feel very hopeful, 
don't feel very confident. Paul talks about that. And what amazes me that the Apostle Paul talks about these things is the circumstances under which he was writing them. When Paul was writing this comforting, encouraging, and joyful letter, he is sitting in a prison cell with a Roman guard, a Roman soldier right next to him. Paul doesn't know whether he's going to be set free on his appeal to Caesar or if he's going to be executed. Death, the ultimate form of persecution, is a very vivid uh, picture right in front of him. And he's writing about these concepts and he's actually feeling these things. I want to dwell into the book of Philippians. Well, and and I would even add to that, that, that it's not just that Paul is living with these struggles, but I think the Philippians were living through these struggles. I mean, they are, uh, um, they're kind of a church unto themselves way up there. They're the first church that he had sort of founded in Europe. Um, and they are, they're in the middle of, of a mix of, of culture that doesn't like this Christian movement. They, they don't like the message of Christianity. Um, and, and so, I mean, having that opportunity to, to see joy in suffering, the paradox, right? Joy in suffering. Um, or, or the other paradox that, 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 that comes in there is human responsibility um, put up against the, the will of God within our lives. Um, you know, these are things that they're wrestling with, and, and yet Paul is, is bringing out such wonderful hope and comfort, uh, like you said. Yes. Um, again, uh, I, I have reiterated as I've taught this Bible study, um, I reiterate as we have when we went through our podcast on the book of Daniel, and as now I'm beginning to teach Bible study on, four, on that, on Daniel in four different places. Pastor Harley, you and I, we're not claiming to be prophets who can foretell the future. Um, the future is in God's hands, and we're not telling any of you what will happen, when it'll happen, or what'll happen. Um, but I do think, too, as we listen to the words of Jesus, who tell us, who has told told us two thousand years ago in the Gospels, and we're reminded of very much today, and we're reminded of this through the season of Lent, and we will be through the season of Pentecost in the Gospels. Our Lord faced opposition, and we as his followers are to expect no less. Yeah. Um, can call it handwriting on the wall to use imagery from the book of Daniel. Um, I, You know what? We'd be foolish. Any of us would be foolish to think that we're not ever going to face opposition. So whether it's minor opposition or whether it's intense, we as God's people still need his strength, his guidance, his comfort, his promises to meet this. Well, and I think that comes into the, the reality that, you know, we convince ourselves of the lie that everything um, that happened in the past is is going to going to predict how things are going to continue on into the future. And and we have relatively in the United States lived in a we'll just say a religiously free environment, relatively religiously free environment. And and we have we've kind of always made the assumption that we're always going to live in a relatively religious free environment. Um, but you know, let, let's just as as our, our opening comments, I suppose. You know, why do we live in this relatively uh, relatively free religious environment? Well, because we have a constitution that gives us religious freedom. But the constitution is a piece of paper that, if not everyone agrees to it, doesn't mean anything. And, and I think we're starting to see that more and more and more as our as the society continues to go. And, and, and if we want to follow other historical trends, most societies have gone from, from democratic societies with, with types of freedom to more restricted societies with less freedoms. Um, and, and we start to see that happening now. And, and now the question does, re, does come up, you know, is there going to be a time? 
and I think you said it and, and I've said it and, and I'll continue to say it, is there going to be a time when the words that, that Paul are sharing here with the Philippians are going to be the words that we're going to cling to uh, for our bread and butter um, because we are going to be in the same boat? It is better for us to be prepared than to be scrambling when the proverbial material hits the fan. Um, again, not can't predict what the future is going to bring. Uh, part of this is with me personally. When I hear certain politicians, not all, but certain politicians uh, openly voice their disdain for Christianity, the Christian faith, for Christians and the Bible, and then expressing public wishes, what they want to do to them, um, I think it's time for us to start preparing. Oh, absolutely. And, and this shouldn't be news to any of our listeners. Um, dear listener, hopefully you, you, you know, you've read the scriptures enough. We're not doomsdayists. We're not, um, we're, we're not, you know, um, millennialism believers where we're, we're saying here's this moment of tribulation. What we're saying is that there is in God's kingdom, and there always has been here on earth and this side of heaven, an ebb and a flow to all things. And and there are forces that stand against the church. Um, there's the devil, the world, and our sinful nature. And um, even though those things seem powerful, even though they, they continue to attack regularly, um, we have every reason to be joyful and every reason to 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 have hope and comfort and confidence that that what we have is not only truth but it is life-giving and life-assuring and it is a blessing for us to live um as we we continue to interact on this side of heaven and i think that's and, the point of philippians yes and that and that and that's our prayer my pr- our prayer is this that uh that the lord uh strengthen us equip us uh for what the majority of Christians today and in the past 2,000 years face every day, even today. Yeah, and I think I I, I do want to say, though, before we jump into the text, um, when we talk about Christian persecution, um, I think everyone starts to get in their head, you know, violent persecution. Um, and the grand majority of Christendom does not suffer violent persecution. Um, they suffer persecution, don't get me wrong, um, but but not, the grand majority of Christendom does not suffer uh, violent persecution, and that is by the grace of God. Um, uh, God limits that um, drastically than from, from what it could be. Um, and even during the time of Paul, all of Christendom did not face violent persecution. Um, they were persecuted, and and you know they were driven out of cities, gone into hiding. But not everybody. I mean, if if every single Christian suffered violent persecution, then the Christendom would die. And so God, by His grace, does not does not give violent persecution to every area of Christendom all at the same time. Yes. And, uh, Again, uh, uh, I lost my train of thought. I apologize for that. Uh, every, you know, uh, there is, there are parts of there are parts of the world where, uh, where where there are Christians undergoing intense persecution. In fact, in the it's interesting to note that in the world today. Uh, areas of this world where Christianity is growing the most are in areas where persecution is very intense. Well, sure, because in those areas, it's not just the persecution of the of the Christian that is intense, but it is usually the the life that is being forced on people in those areas is one that is um, devoid of hope and comfort. And and so so Christ brings hope and comfort, um, and, and so even in a, even in a time when when faith would be persecuted, when Christ would be persecuted, and Christians would be persecuted, there is a um, a level of 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 hope that comes with this is better still than what what we've been given. 
I have, and I may have done this before, uh, the past few podcasts I've been uh, prone to give little commercials. Um, here's another one that I want to credit to Pastor David Schultz, who's retired and living in our area of the Synod, a man that over the past nine years I have grown to, to and, and grown and, and accumulated a lot of respect for. Um, if you get on your computer sometime and you want to see what Christianity faces throughout the world, this isn't something that's that's a Lutheran-based publication or whatever. Uh, get on your just Google search uh, the voice of the martyrs. Yep, um, and it is a Christian group that does keep information or give out information about persecution, brothers and sisters in the faith that are being persecuted all over the globe. Um, it's interesting, and it's something that Pastor Schultz has helped to encourage me to do, as I know other brothers in the ministry out here in the Nebraska district, that we keep these people in our prayers. Well, and I think they, and, and that's exactly it. They need to be in our prayers, um, for only the Lord of the Church can help. Um, yes. And, and the Lord of the church is going to help and does. And and see, one of the things we, and this is the joyful part of prayer even, um, God knows what we need and, and what he is doing before we pray. Uh, and yet he still invites us to pray um, because he is our dear father who loves us and encourages us uh, to talk with him. Um, so let's, you know, we've talked a little bit about it and, and um, maybe may, let's start it off. So you have uh, you've you've taught the class. You've you've dealt with um, this you know quite recently. Um, so let's follow maybe let's follow the course of how you you went through it through class, and we'll just open it up and and have some discussion on on the text of chapter one. Okay. Um, again, maybe give a little bit of a background on, and if you have any information that you'd like to uh, to share or throw in pastor Hirely, by all means, feel, feel free to do like we, like we always have done maybe to just give, uh, before getting into chapter one, because Paul identifies himself and I'm not just going to read the first verse. Paul identifies himself, Paul and Timothy servants of Christ Jesus. Paul wrote this letter, Timothy as a young pastor serving and actually probably was instructed and taught by the apostle Paul. Um, Paul identifies the the in, in themselves uh, as uh, the senders of this letter to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, a little bit so is something I think it's good to to note the people to whom he was writing to, uh, the people. Uh, in, in the city of the, the city of Philippi, this was a church that Paul had started. You mentioned, please share with us, Pastor Harley. You brought up before a little bit of the history how Paul uh, how Paul started this congregation. Well, this is uh, actually the the first congregation that um, Paul started in Europe. This is uh, the first congregation that he had an opportunity to start on his second missionary journey. So. Um, this is a, a, a very near and dear congregation to Paul's heart. Um, when, when the congregation was founded by the Holy Spirit and started to grow in this area, um, the congregation itself really, really gravitated to the support of Paul um, and supported him in many, many of his endeavors through prayers and through um, um, not only the prayers, but also through, through ways of helping to support his ministry in a physical way. Um, and so very, very... Um, near and dear to to Paul's heart. You're going to find that in the writings, uh, in, in his writing to the Philippians, that that he really has very little chastisement to give to the people of Philippi um, because of his, his, I guess, their, their, their faithfulness, as, a better way of saying it, their, their faithfulness around word and sacrament and their growth in faith and, and how they are able to live that out in the world around them. Um, probably some things that, that might be of note for us, um, giving some background to this, is um, a lot of the, the at least the book of Philippians that we have, um, is based off of information that is, is given to him uh, through uh, um, other people. He's, he's not there. Like we said, this is a, 
This is a prison epistle. He's he's in prison at the time. Um, there's conjecture as to which section of his imprisonment he's in. Um, some people have thought that that maybe this is during the two years when he was in Caesarea uh, and imprisoned there um, before he was brought to Rome and spent two years there. Uh, other people have said, no, this is while he's in Rome and, and he is he's writing this while he's imprisoned in Rome. And, and I don't know if that's really a conjecture. Does it really matter? Um, we know that it's it's probably around 60 AD when it was made uh, or when the, the letter was written. And, and we do know that that Paul, um, he is, well, put to death, martyred um, in around 64. So, um, I mean, this is not too far away from, from when Paul uh, will be taken from this earth and, and glorified in heaven. Something that, that jumps out at me with this as you brought that up, and thank you for that, uh, two years of his life, two years of his life in ministry, under arrest in Caesarea, two years of his life in ministry under arrest in Rome, four years of ministry spent in prison. I'm just speaking from the vantage point of a pastor. On the outside, doesn't seem to be very appealing. No, maybe. And, and maybe a, a lot, lot uh, every reason to not have hope. Yes. Um, I have shared this illustration with my people in Bible study. And actually, this is one you can relate to because you and I talked about this nine years ago. Uh, nine years ago, before our vaunted and esteemed United States Supreme Court made it the law of the land that gay marriage was legal for all and in all 50 states and U.S. territories, um, our church body was struggling with how to handle that issue, not whether or not it was right or wrong. We know what scripture says about it, but how to handle it in the face of possible pre-persecution. And Pastor Harley, you might remember me saying this, that my solution for this whole thing was, I'm not doing marriages anymore. Yeah, your your solution was pretty much I'm no longer going to be a representative of the state and, in this action. Yep, and my and my excuse was that for was saying that if the government wanted to redefine marriage, let them perform it. I still believe that, but there was also a part of me that wanted to avoid the situation of even being faced with uh with jail time if that would be part if that would have become part of that. Um, and, uh, and, and I, I remember telling my leaders that here, when I had thrown some of that stuff out, that that's what I wanted to do. And, and, and I said, and then I asked, which one of you are going to bail me out of jail? And of course there was dead silence. Um, as I've studied Daniel, as I've studied the book of Philippians, how I look at this has changed just a little bit. Um, I've come to realize that no matter what your policy is, if somebody's, if the, if Satan is intent with bringing persecution, there's nothing that you're going to do. There's nothing that you can do that's going to, to, to avoid it or prevent it from coming to you. Um, and then looking again, once again, uh, this is a theme that, that Paul definitely looked at, and we learned a theme that we learned in Daniel. Life is not a matter of survival, fight or flee. Life is a matter of what gives God the most glory. So I'd ask myself a question with that as I'm applying that truth of God's word to myself. Is refraining from doing marriages is that what gives God the most glory? And my answer is no. Well, and, and I think it goes beyond that, you know, and you made a, you, you make a really good point. Um, and, and we're coming back to that point from carrying over from Daniel, you know, what is going to give God the most glory? But I, I think one of the things that, that, that comes to this point though, too, is, is that even in the midst, even in the midst of the storm, right of of what was going on um 
notice the things that were afforded Paul um, by grace of the Lord. Um, he was afforded uh, Timothy to be there with him. Epaphroditus was regular in coming and spending time with him. Um, he was given uh, opportunities to to um, write, to um, continue to share God's word and and guidance um, by letters to these people and and receive benefits con- from them. The Philippian congregation lent a lot of uh, spiritual, emotional, and physical support while he was in prison as well. Right, and and he was able to benefit from those things, um, even though he was uh, under this house arrest. So I, I I guess I would say, and and this is one of those things that I that I would say is is, is the moral of it all. Um, as we begin this, is um, we have a even even in the midst of suffering, in the midst of of the things that are going to be coming or or have come for some people. There are still these moments where we see that that this is this world in which we live is not hell. It, it's not hell. God's grace is still preve- uh, prevalent and prevails. Um, instead, what we see is is we see bad things happening because sin is there. Bad things happen because because people are bad. We we just naturally are bad. Um, and as as the pushback goes against God's goodness and God's grace. Um, God's grace is still better and and more powerful and will always prevail to bring what he promises. And and I think that's really the the a lot of what we're going to see in Paul as he writes. One of the things I want to highlight though and as you read this in in every English translation says it and and I it, it, to me it's a little cringe-worthy because I think it 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 kind of takes a little bit of the oomph away from from what the words are that that Christ intended, um, but you have you know Paul and Timothy and and like I said, all the translations say servants of Christ Jesus, and, and really the word there in Greek is doulos. That's slave. That's that's a bond servant. That is that is one that is that is um. It it is not just a. Not just somebody who who elected to be, but it is one who has no choice but to be, um, and and I think there's a beauty in that because we are a we are a doulas, we're a slave to sin, or we're a slave to Christ. There is no there is no middle ground of somewhere I can waffle in between and walk walk free. You are either you are either a, the 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 child of lies of Satan himself and you are bound to your sinful nature in chains that you cannot break or you are purchased by Christ in his blood and therefore he owns you because of his of his sacrifice and you are now his slave uh living to freedom it was actually probably a very vi- visual thing of Paul sitting there oh i i think so because he was in or, chains yes and I think he 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 says I would I and I think he admits and that's why I'm saying saying servant kind of takes a little bit of that oomph away because you you see this as a as a as a um a prison ministry letter this is his prison letter and and he's writing and he's saying I might be in physical chains I might be bound but I am so much better bound to Christ chained to Him uh, chained to His cross chained to His life. Um, and 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 I take joy and comfort in this, um, and, and being being a part of that. What a what a beautiful statement to be able to say. Yes, um, we've got quite we chat. You know, while this is a short book, we do have quite we have do have quite a bit of uh, uh, Philippians chapter one to cover yet in in our time allotted. Um, if it's permissible with you, I'd like to to move along just a little bit. You are, you are leading this parade. Uh, so we'll, we'll, we'll go on a little bit. We're not going to read all through chapter one or through all of the chapters as we go through them. Encourage you to do that. We're going to highlight a few things. We go on uh, into our, our next paragraph. Just a couple of things I'm going to, I'm going to highlight here. Um, I thank my God every time I remember you, every time I pray for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. 
I am convinced of this very thing that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. You have some beautiful things here, and this is a theme that kind of works its way through the book of Philippians. Either uh, first of all, you see Paul's pastoral heart for these people, and while while his world seems to be crumbling around him, he still is praying for his fellow believers. And then you get that word there with joy. I uh, again we see that first. Uh, word of joy. And it, again, it blows me away in a circumstance that doesn't seem to bring about a lot of joy. He has it. And then he tells us why he has it. Because of your fellowship in the gospel. That term fellowship, again, is another theme that, that works, that winds its way through Philippians. This is something that Paul, that, that Paul really literally felt and experienced with these people. Um, it, 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 this again, this this was a section that came to my mind this last weekend. I preached on Acts chapter four, verses twenty-three to thirty-three, and you got a beautiful picture there of the of the body of believers together with the apostles. Um, not only a fellowship, but of consensus, one heart and one mind, and, and then how how that fruit just just blossoms. And, and filters its way into the life, the culture of, 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 of the believers. But, but I think highlighting, and, and let's talk a little bit about that. There's also another section I want to, in that section you read, I want to highlight too. But, but talk about that idea of fellowship. You know, it's the idea of fellowship, not saying, well, we believe in Jesus. Oh, goody, we're all in fellowship. You know, he's, he's really highlighting that, that they, they are gathering around the sacrament right? They're receiving the sacrament. They're gathering around the truth of Scripture. They are hearing the truth of Scripture. That, that this is not my opinion and his opinion, and we're going to choose to disagree and call this fellowship because we all say we still believe in Jesus. This is, this is a deeper fellowship that he says, I am taking comfort in the fact that, that you are my brothers, you are my sisters, um, and we share in the same Lord. We are both, all of us are slaves to Christ who has purchased us, and we receive, in, we receive and- his grace. And it and it's a fellowship that that is only wrought by word and sacrament by the Absolutely. Holy Spirit. Absolutely. Um, and I'm glad and I'm glad that you brought that up because it's not some type of it's not agreeing to disagree. It which is a false fellowship, which is a fellowship that our whole society and notice how our society and even church bodies who claim that type of fellowship they don't even that that doesn't even work for them either. That basically what for them it comes down to, it's a, it's a fellowship, it's a unity, as long as you kowtow to our way of thinking. Right. Eventually, as well. No, but this is this is one of peace, unity, and again, it doesn't, I mean, we're not talking about some type of utopian relationship here, um, but it was just one where they see all of the blessing, you know what? We might not all do the same thing. We might not all come to the same conclusion. But you know what? We're going to do the darndest that we can, um, guided by God's inerrant true word, to do what's best for the kingdom. Right. And and I think that comes up, and, and that leads to the other part that I wanted to highlight in what you read, which is in verse 6, where, where you have that word, I am convinced— and then, then it linking down in later in that verse to completion, and and I love those two words. You have the 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 uh, the certainty of Paul. I am convinced. In other words, I know this is going to happen. What does he know that's going to happen? He knows that Christ will complete what it is that he has set out to do. And and I like that word completion because it it harkens back to the very words of Christ upon the cross. Uh, Christ upon the cross spoke the word to thy. It is complete. We translate it, it is finished, um, but really it is, it is complete. And, and what, how a beautiful connection to where did this all begin? It began with Christ on the cross for me, right? And, and he completed it. And guess what? Christ on the cross for me, leading to my resurrection, Christ's going to complete that too. It's going to be fine. I'm, I'm going to have it all. Um, and, and you will too um, in Christ. Um, what a beautiful Beautiful rendition. 
I'm going to take that as a transition into the next place I want to go into because this joy, this conviction, this fellowship moves him to say this, starting in verse 12. I want you to know, brothers, that the things which happened to me actually took place to advance the gospel. And so it has become clear throughout the whole palace garden to all the rest that I am in chains because of Christ. And I'm just going to stop there because that really seems to bring about the whole thought, the whole next thought. Here, Paul, this, this, here's another thing that blows me away about Paul. And this is the piece that comes from the completed work of Christ, from the gospel, from unity in it, from the word and sacrament, that Paul, despite sitting in a prison cell, not knowing if he's going to be alive in the next couple of months, not knowing whether he's, you know, all, and, and, and probably he knows that the method of execution under the Roman government is not going to be pleasant um, by any stretch of the imagination or humane. He's talking about any, it, why about being convinced, joyful and all this, because he says here, it, it's just, it, it's so profound and it's so easy to pass over. These things are taking place to advance the gospel. Yeah. And, and he's seeing God's hand, what Jesus is doing through him here in a prison cell. Yeah. And, and notice, notice the advance of the gospel had nothing to do with the congregations that he's writing to. Um, the advancement of the gospel was the people that were surrounded, the palace guard, and and the rest of, of those people who were working in that area. That's where the gospel was advancing. That 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 what Paul is saying is 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 really my witness is 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 being a witness to them right now. I've heard some conjecture that think that uh, because it does seem to be that the majority of opinion feel that Philippians was not written in Caesarea but in Rome, and that Paul and these people connected with him at his imprisonment there were really instrumental, if not starting the church in Rome, but really contributing to its growth. Well, and, and you know, if we're going to talk about some conjecture, the other side of the conjecture is that Caesarea was, although a, a Roman province, uh, still had many... Um, culturally diverse people, and that uh, the palace guard referenced here was the only Roman guard in the area that was designated to to uh, protect the prefect. And since and, uh, and possibly could have taken that back with them as well. Absolutely, and I'm not denying that. But it's yeah. uh, but that that because otherwise, why would why would Paul, who's a nobody relatively speaking, uh, have a palace guard around him? other than to say that he was in a, a heavily non-Roman area and he claims Roman law, that he should be judged under Roman law, which we know from the book of Acts he did. He claimed to be judged under Roman law. And so he would have been taken into custody by the Romans, by Roman officials, and and, and placed under Roman guard. Um, so it is conjecture, and, and that's... Look at how, you know, when you, you look in the book of Acts and stuff, too, you bring it up here. You, it makes me think about it here, too. Uh, the, the, the work, the mission, you know, when Paul got tossed into arrest, no matter what the circumstances were and how many times he ever did, uh, sharing the gospel never stopped. No. It, wasn't, it wasn't an opportunity for woe is me, complaining, um, life sucks. Um, but proclamation of the gospel continued, and it continued intensely. It didn't put a damper on it. Let's put it this way. It didn't put the brakes on it. Well, you know, I, I said this to you earlier um, this morning, but uh, when we were talking about another issue. But remember what I said, you know, um, it's surprising what you can learn to live with. And I think you see that here. You know, you can. You, there's, there's really two ways you can live your life. You can live your life saying, "Woe is me! Everything, ha everything that that's bad happens to me, and no one else has to suffer, and I'm the, I'm the one that always has to suffer." Or you can, or, or you can, and I think this is by grace, realize that you know what? This is the card you were dealt, and God be praised that you get to live in it, and and now we work with it, and you'd be surprised what you can live with. Um, you know that this is. 
any person who any person who has had to live with with cancer that was ongoing and and wasn't just a, a super aggressive but has to go through through treatments learns this fairly quickly um this is this is what we learn to live with and we cope with and we move on and there's joy still to be had um and there's confidence that we can still have um in the midst of what we are called to carry and and i think this is exactly what paul paul has in mind but it has other results other than just sharing the gospel among those that that he he is among. I mean, you have some of these wonderful results that it's spurring on other people to preach more confidently. Um, they see what's happening in Paul's life and they recognize, you know what? I can still do this and, and I can Christ be bold is, about it. Christ is being proclaimed, as Paul says, and in this I rejoice. Right. Absolutely. Um, uh, I would say, and again, just because it's so fresh in my mind, just before, I mean, this morning I taught Bible study on Daniel. Um, Daniel would agree with that. Um, any of God's servants, uh, followers, servants, whatever, lay people or clergy, have to have, have to give a resounding amen to this. Christ is proclaimed and we rejoice. And notice there too in Paul saying Christ is proclaimed. He's not saying Christ is believed. Right. He's saying Christ is proclaimed, which is an inspiration to, I mean, I'll I'll give this, this is something that I think about with the mission church I served in Southwest Minnesota. We, in our, in our mission, we tended to bring people in, educate them. And as soon as they were educated and brought into the family, they transferred to another Wells congregation in the large area of Sioux Falls. That was that was disheartening to the people doing the mission work together with their pastor. Um, and I and again I would come to them and go, okay, we rejoice because Christ has been proclaimed. Right. Okay. He has been believed and he is proclaimed. But you know what? Just, we need to rejoice. We don't rejoice because we get to keep them. We rejoice because they're in the greater fold. Well, and and it's that a, is, and that isn't a, that's our mission, isn't sure. it? No matter what setting we're in, it's not to bring them into our walls, uh, the walls of our church. It's to bring them into the kingdom. Well, and and I think this is the this is the 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 switch of focus that all of our churches need to have is is you know we don't do the work of Bible information class we don't do the work of preaching from our pulpits we don't do the work of 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 baptism and confirmation so that um, these kids remain with their 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 names in our books of that particular church but we we do that so that their name is written in the blood of Christ in the book of life. And I think there's a there's a definite difference between those two books, right? We're not doing this job to bolster our local congregation. We're doing this job uh, because one, we're called and privileged to do it, but two, because this is Christ through the Spirit writing people in 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 His blood in the Book of Life, uh, so that we will see them in eternity, not just see them now. And and I think that's something to be said. But before we we get too far down that rabbit hole, I I just I, I gotta share the the little bit of humor that I think is found in these first areas of, of Paul's letter. And specifically starting at 15, um, you know, he, he recognizes that, um, that there are some people that are, are now bold to preach Christ um, because they're like, I can now gain, I, I, I can now catch up to Paul. I can, now, I can now overpass Paul and I can do more than Paul did because uh, Paul's in prison, he can't do anything and I get my opportunity. He he uses those words. They they are preaching Christ out of envy and rivalry. I think I think that's kind of a neat concept that the oh, they're preaching Christ out of uh, out of rivalry. And notice in the very beginning of eighteen, I love what Paul says. What does it matter? <laughs> like who cares? Who who yep. who really cares if it's and and I'm thinking about that and I think about it in our day right. Um, when I went to when I went into seminary, um, I, I shouldn't say seminary. It was pre sem, and I was going through pre sem, and and I asked some of the the, uh, the other students there. I said, 
why are you here? Because the, everything they were doing in their life, I mean, it just their entire life in pre-sem was, this is not what what you would be proud of as a pastor to be and and to live like. And And I said, why are you even going to school to be a pastor? What is the point? And they would say, job security. Job security, you know, it's it's a guaranteed job. You, you, we could do it. It's guaranteed. And I and I thought, you know, how horrible. And then and some of them actually made it into the ministry and some of them became pastors and 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 reading this in Philippians, I I take comfort and and a little bit of rejoicing and joy in the fact that, you know what, even if they're there just to do the job and not there because they love the people and not there because because this is the the life calling that God has given upon their heart. Christ is still being preached and it's changing hearts and and I'm okay with that right um, that that's what Paul is saying I'm okay with that yep well like yeah we, again what, what you know what is yeah, like you said what does it matter um you know and, and again preaching Christ out of envy you know we've had conversations too where it can be a temptation um dear listeners uh, a lot of times you might fall prey into thinking that that pastors, clergy, uh, that we lead uh, a more sinless life than you do. That's that's as far as that's the farthest from the truth that you can get. Um, we've talked about as brothers in the ministry too, where there's always that temptation for us to be in competition with each other, rather than to be helpful and supportive. Um, there's always that evil, sinful nature that says, um, I don't want to share too much because it might take glory away from me. Right. Or, or you know, the old, the old laughter that we used to have, um, when you go on vacation, make sure you call in a worse preacher than you to, yeah. to fill in so that they all are happy that you come back. Um, and, and those aren't, and those aren't good things to 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 do no. an approach, and we have to realize that that not every person has the same gifts, and not every person is 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 a cookie cutter of someone else. And what works in one congregation with the people uh, of God's flock that are there, and what works in another congregation are two different things, and they're not going to be the same. And that's okay. Um, and there's joy no. to be had. Um, I'm going to move us. I'm going to move us along, sir. I'm going to take the next section. This is probably my favorite part of the book of, of, uh, of, the, of the whole entire letter to the Philippians, and I'll explain to you why here shortly. Uh, Paul says, yes, and I will continue to rejoice because I know that this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayer and the support of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. He knows there that he's going to be delivered either way, whether he's set free from prison or he's taken to heaven. This matches my earnest expectation and hope that I will in no way be put to shame, but with all boldness as always, so even now, Christ will be magnified in my body, whether by life or by death. Yes, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. But if I am to go on living in the flesh, that will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet which should I prefer? I do not know. I'm pulled in two directions because I have the desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. But it is more necessary for your sake that I remain in the flesh. And since I am convinced of this, I know that I will remain and will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith. And so by my coming to you again, my goal is to give you even more reason to boast in Christ Jesus. Paul's attitude, once again, there blows me away um, in, in his situation. And you see his desire, his desire here to be with Christ and also his desire um, to, to remain and to serve with the Lord. I'm going to take you back in time here to 29 years ago. Um, I have 29, 28. My father's still alive. And... Uh, I was visiting home for one reason or whatever. And uh, my dad, and it was only after my dad died later on that year that really his whole thought process really came to a, or came for, or came for me to be understood. 
Um, and my dad was saying, he said, you know, son, he said, every morning I get up out of bed. He said, uh, um, I say to the Lord, I'm ready for you. Come today. Whether it's judgment day or give me the big one and, and take me by death. And he just says, you know what? He says, I see everything going on in the world today and so forth and see this world getting worse and worse. He says, I'm just ready for the Lord. I'm content. You know what? If he doesn't, I'm fine with that. If he does, and I didn't hear dad say, if he doesn't, I'm fine with that. All I heard was dad says, I want to go. I remember saying to dad, I'm going, dad, don't say that. And here, this as a confessional Lutheran pastor saying to his dad, don't say such a thing. Because I'm thinking about, because I, and I said to dad, you know what? I'd like you to see your grandchildren. There's a lot of things I want to do with you yet. There's so many things in life to be enjoyed. Uh, again, here I'm thinking about completely in worldly matters. A um, few months later, my dad dies in a tragic automobile accident at the age of 52, and my mom almost dies with him. The Lord spared her. Um, and uh, one of the most difficult times of my life, um, and as we are preparing dad's funeral, and I'm talking to my pastor and to his pastor, um, I said to, I, you know, it was this conversation that came to uh, a flood in my mind. And I'm taking great comfort in the fact that I would have, even if we met in this conversation, I always knew my dad was prepared to meet his Lord. But to have a personal conversation like that, I said, Pastor, I said, you have to preach on this text. This has to be the text for my dad's funeral. Um, and, he, and he preached on that. Uh, once again, this is something that not only a child of God, um, uh, a, a partner in the gospel, um, someone who is convinced that Christ is proclaimed in everything we say, think, and do, uh, this is this this is this is such a wonderful thing. All spirit worked through means of grace. Uh, this is what happens when Christ is proclaimed. And I and you know, I have I have a little bit of a stake in this in this set of verses, not in your area, but with my own mother, because my mother she had used this set of verses. Um, for a totally different purpose because, you know, my mom is, is struggling with cancer. You know that already. And, um, and my mom has often said, I'm ready to go. That That's not a problem. She, she knows where she's going. She's okay with where she's going. She's like, I am ready to go. But what she is often referenced to is, is Paul's words, right? Um, near it, near the end of what you read, um, which is, is really him saying, but is starting in 24, but it is more necessary for your sake that I remain in the flesh. And, and she uses that in, in reference to my dad and, and to my own children. And she says, right now I'm still here for their sake. And, and what a servant attitude that is, is that, is that, and, and that comes back down to life. Life is not lived for me. I, I don't live for my own enjoyment. I don't live for my own gratification. I don't live for my own pleasures. I am here for someone else's sake. I mean, that's that's the servant attitude. That's the servant heart. That 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 it would have been better by far. I would have been baptized and taken with the Lord, baptized and died. That would have been best by far. Um, no chance of suffering. No chance of 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 temptation. No chance of falling. Nothing. God's grace, you're in, go. Um, better by far. But I'm here for your sake. And and just like you're here for my sake, and, and you're here for the sake of your wife, and I'm here for the sake of my wife and for my children, and that when the time is right, that means my purpose is done. Yes. You know, I remember uh, I'm in eighth grade. We were having a conversation before, just before we met here, and I, you brought to mind this man, my sixth, seventh, and eighth grade teacher, a man who taught theology very well, but was not a trained clergyman. And he 
in the midst of one of our religion classes one time, he was talking about his wife was pregnant. And he said, I pray every day for my child, um, not only that he's born healthy, but I, he says, I pray this prayer that if, uh, if, he's going, if he's going to fall from faith, I pray that the Lord will take him before that can happen. Um, his wife miscarried. Um, and, I, you know, and uh, it was a devastating thing for them both. Uh, but that was one of the, th and I mean, he took that as an opportunity and, uh, and uh, a lesson to share that from uh, not only a servant's heart, from a father's heart, from a fellow Christian's heart to teach us all about that. And I mean, I'm going to tell you, that's a profound thing, um, profound, deeply spiritual thing that has stuck with me to this very day. Yeah, to, to realize, I mean, please, dear listener, don't don't um, don't take this as saying if you have a miscarriage that this is we're we're glorifying and saying how wonderful that is, but what what is being said and the beautiful part of being said is is his recognition that that the word works and him and his wife were gathering around the means of grace and the means of grace work um, and we don't we don't know for sure if it works within the womb although. We could say we can point to illustrations where it seems to, but we do know that God's word works. And we also know that in the waters of baptism, it is definite. And that is why yes. we baptize. And so when when he says a prayer like that and, and something like this happens, this is not just an empty platitude or an empty hope. This is God answering the prayer saying, you're absolutely right, and it's time to come home. Um, and, and that is okay. Now, does that mitigate... The sorrow, no. It doesn't mitigate the 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 desire to have, have been a part of that child's life, no. Um, what it does is says as and I, I think you would go back to David, right? Um, he will never come back to see me, but I will go to see him uh, when his child died. Um, what a wonderful thing to be able to to confess um, that that yeah, he can't come back, but I can go to see him because I know where he is. Um, and there's joy in that. And, and this is this is what, I mean, essentially Paul's point as he's coming to the end of, of, of this very first chapter is, I'm here for the purpose, the purpose is you. The purpose is, is, to, is to share Christ with you and share Christ into this world. And until that job is done, to which only God knows when that job will be done, I will be here in the flesh to do that. Yep, and we'll be, and we'll be enjoying it. Yes. And I will enjoy uh, every minute of it. Uh, so here's my, here's my question. And I know we had to come to the end and, and we're, we're reaching the end of chapter one. Here's my question to you. Verse 27. I think we're, we're about ready to, to tackle that one, right? Verse 27. Is it, and I'm going to throw this out there. Is verse 27 a law, a request, an encouragement, hope, and for whom is it directed? Well, let's, let's, let's hear it first, okay? Just conduct yourselves in a way that is worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come to see you or am absent, I may hear about you that you are standing firm in one spirit, contending together with one soul for the faith of, faith of the gospel, not frightened in any way by the adversaries. This is a sign for them of their destruction and of your salvation and that from God. For it has been graciously granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him, having the same kind of struggle that you saw I was in and that you now hear I am still experiencing. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say this with, uh, with firm conviction that this is a, a gospel encouragement. Law threatens and brings about fear. This is a gospel encouragement. Paul has pretty much in all of chapter one here has thrown out gospel encouragement. This isn't a law, even though you have an imperative where he's saying conduct yourselves. But this is a gospel encouragement. He is speaking to people who believe in Christ. He is speaking to the new person of faith. 
Yeah, and I, and and I would agree with you. I know I asked the question, but I would I would definitely agree with you that this is a, and we call it a gospel encouragement, which gives be by sheer weight of the gospel the ability to do what it asks and encourages. Um, and and I think that's where we would we would definitely have to sit and want to sit is that yeah it is conduct yourself in this way, but you can't conduct yourself this way on your own, but you can in Christ, and He gives you the ability to do so. Um, uh, this Sunday, we, we get to talk about how Christ is the vine and where are the branches. That's the gospel reading for this Sunday. Um, as you gather around a word and sacrament um, at your local congregation, what a wonderful thing to be able to realize that we can do nothing apart from Christ, but we can do everything in Christ. And so when he says, conduct yourself in Christ, I can. Without him, I can't. I am incapable, but with Christ, I can. Now, who is and, the who is he referring to? Just the Philippians? Whoever's whoever is hearing this letter. I think that's an important takeaway. Whoever is hearing whoever, this letter. Whoever is hearing these words, you know, Paul Paul wrote this letter to to a, a, a definite audience, but Paul knew too that as he's I mean, because this was the practice of the day, a little bit of a historical lesson for our people. These letters, you know, Paul wrote, I mean, the apostles wrote letters he had to, to the Romans, the Galatians, the Ephesians, the Philippians, the Colossians. Um, he had Peter's first, and those were more general epistles that were intended to be distributed. The people who got these letters, like, that were addressed specifically to them, they copied them and they shared them because they recognized it as biblical, Holy Spirit-inspired truth intended for all of God's people. Right. And, and, I, and that's why we still have it today. Yes. Preserved for us by the Spirit um, and, and recorded for us. Um, any comments, um, just in, in brief maybe, uh, how almost—it was almost a paradox, I think, that last—verse uh, uh, 29 um, notice how he had said, for it has been grant, uh, graciously, graciously granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. Um, uh, anybody who believes that you get to accept Christ, this sort of takes the wind right out of those sails. It's been graciously granted to you the ability to believe. But what about that ending part? Also graciously granted the ability to suffer. Uh, that was, this would be something that uh, um, Joel Osteen would not appreciate hearing, and he doesn't agree with. Um, we have a lot of uh, very popular Christian teachers out on the scene today that preach a theology of glory, uh, misleading Christians into believing that if you live are living a godly life, and if your life is right with Christ, you will experience nothing but success. And, 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 and nowhere does Scripture teach that. You really have to do some, uh, you really have to do some uh, interpretational gymnastics to come up with a theology of glory. Right. Um, and here Paul reminds us that, again, Suffering is to be expected. That's part of bearing the cross. Jesus said, if anyone must come up, if anyone wants to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Um, the way of the cross is the way of suffering. It doesn't mean it doesn't mean necessarily that everything in life is going to be a cesspool, but it does it, it's a reminder to us that life is not easy and God does not tell us it's going to be right and, and i think this is the this is the part you know i i we've used that um over and over and i think i think that's like our go-to and that's our people's go-to um you know take up your cross and follow me and, and i and i think there's a difference between a self-inflicted cross and and a cross that that christ allows into your life uh god allows into your well, life yeah we're not talking about self and the cross the the taking up one's cross is not a self-inflicted cross. Uh, Jesus is not talking about sins, about sins and stuff. And uh, 
uh, sin, about sins and the consequences that we have brought on ourselves. This is stuff that comes upon us because we're living the faith. Right. And so, so difference of, you know, people ridicule you because you are walking into your church. Um, that is a, a cross you bear. Uh, different from, um, you know, the cops arrest you because you go and you punch someone in the face. You know, totally different yeah. situation. Uh, and, you know, this is, these are the, the crosses that we, we present to ourselves. And, and there are many, there are many crosses that we bear because of our own sins. Um, are not always the aren't the ones that that God has asked us to bear. Those are some of our own making. Um, but there are many. Out, and I'm going to go out on a limb with this: is that many of our uh, many of our men in blue are facing crosses right now that uh, are not because of their own actions. Oh, and, absolutely! Uh, in our society today, absolutely. Yes. I think I think there are many. There are many people who are are attempting to do what is their vocation, and they're attempting to do it to the best of their ability, and they are being wrongly persecuted for their attempts. Um, and or, and that or is being wrongly persecuted for a few for a few bad apples. Sure, and it could be that too. It it, yeah. it definitely could be that too. Um, and, and I and I think uh, um, you know, sort of bringing up. I, I'm not, I didn't watch the Oscars, but I saw a clip of it. Um, Tyler Perry's, I'm not a huge fan of Tyler Perry, but, but I have to say his acceptance speech for whatever award he was, I don't remember what he got a humanitarian award or whatever. Um, I think it was a very good speech in the sense that he said, you know, um, I'm not going to hate anybody because of their race. And then he went through, I'm not going to hate a Mexican because they're a Mexican. I'm not going to hate a, a black because they're black. I'm not going to hate a white because they're white or a cop because he's a cop. Um, and he went through the whole entire thing. It was a really good speech. And he said, because oh. my mother, my mother taught me not to hate anybody by what, by what they look like. And, and I thought, you know, Hey, um, good on you. I mean, you so kind of missed the it's point. Wonderful to hear, it's wonderful here to hear some words of wisdom come from that segment of society. No, I mean, that was only words of wisdom that, that you could probably glean from, but yeah, I mean, there's a, but there's a truth to this, and, and this is the that comes out here in in, Wonder, in the wonderful beginning. words and stark contrast to LeBron James. But that's a whole other podcast. It is, um, but it is it is I think a truth that realizes that that we are going to be called to suffer, and and it's going to be a gracious granting that God is going to give us an opportunity to bear fruit. Um, God is going to give us an opportunity to share Him in in that suffering. Um, I look at members in my congregation, members in my family, members uh, in other congregations who struggle with cancer, and they use that as an opportunity to serve others, to give them hope and comfort as they are suffering, um, and and give them also an opportunity to help to serve, to step up and, and be a part of something else. Um, what an opportunity that God graciously grants, right? Um, not just the op- not, not just the opportunity to believe but an opportunity to suffer and to suffer with someone else. So I don't know. What do you want to do to take us out for the first chapter of Philippians? I want to say amen, amen, and amen.